Welcome into the latest edition of the Sports Roundtable on this May the 2nd, 2019. Today we are talking the Mountaineers in continuation from Tuesday's edition of how they done in the NFL draft. Today I got our in-house expert Chris Westfall for the Mountaineers. He's the analyst here who knows more than anybody here about the the Mountaineers uh, college football team. So, Chris, were you surprised at how they've done so far? Well, first off, man, how did I become the expert? That's crazy. That That's not saying much for everybody else around here, right? Well. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, Mountaineers in the draft, it was a little surprising to me um, how they fell. Will Greer going first in the third round, pick number 100. Now, if you look at that, he goes to the Carolina Panthers. Carolina Panthers showing interest in Will Greer because, A, he is a local to Charlotte area. I'll get more into that in a second. And I think they knew that New England wanted Will Greer. And New England did take a quarterback in the fourth round. So I'm thinking Carolina thought that that was their last chance to get Will Greer because New England had the very next pick, 101. They didn't take a quarterback there, but it would be interesting to see if Carolina doesn't take Will Greer with pick number 100, do they take him at 101? Does New England take him at 101, or could have Charlotte waited another another round to get Will Greer? It's a chance they were willing to take. It's a very interesting situation for Will Greer because you're coming in behind Cam Newton. Cam Newton is a guy that took Carolina to a Super Bowl, and then over the next few years after that, Carolina hasn't been great. Cam's had a lot of injuries, and it almost is a pick that makes me feel that Carolina, here you go, you got a local kid that people are going to pull for, Okay, they're going to want to see Will Greer play. Is this a pick to get more out of Cam Newton? To say, hey, look, we got this guy here. He can step up. Fans want to see him. You're going to have to step up and do more if you want to stay. Do you think it also mentors Will Greer? I mean, Will Greer is coming into the NFL, and you're learning under a prolific quarterback that has had proven success. So, Proven success in a couple years. Uh, another thing you got to look at at Cam Newton, Cam Newton has never been a prolific passer of the football. He never has. You go back to his college days at Auburn, that offense was not set up to throw the ball. He didn't throw the ball that much. Here comes Will Greer that is definitely a passing quarterback with a big arm. He's proven that. I think it's not to mold Will Greer. I think it is a pressure move onto Cam Newton to say, look, you step up or we're going to bring in the young guy. If, If New England takes Will Greer, that's a mentor job. You're you're setting behind one of the best quarterbacks in history of the game, and you would be molded to possibly take his position when he decides to leave. You're not going to push Tom Brady out in New England. He's there to stay. So I almost think this is a better situation for Will Greer than if he got taken by the New England Patriots. That totally changed my thought of it. I mean, I thought Will Greer wouldn't really stand a chance of making a starting job here. I thought he would more on a mentor under Cam Newton, and then if another team needed a starting quarterback, he would go elsewhere. I don't see that at all. I I see Will Greer having a legitimate shot to win that job, especially if Cam Newton can't stay healthy. He hasn't stayed healthy, what, the last couple years? He's had injury problems. He's been injury-plagued. He has never been the passer that I think they've wanted in that position. And how many quarterbacks have lost their starting jobs to future Hall of Famers? No, it it happens all the time. And you look at these guys like Kyler Murray goes number one. Will Kyler Murray have the success of Will Greer long-term? That's what will be interesting to watch because there is a huge experiment going on in the the deserts of Phoenix, uh, taking Kyler Murray, Cliff Kingsbury, the new head coach. This is an experiment that will go one of two directions for Phoenix 
it'll either mold the NFL into something different or it's going to blow up completely in their faces. <laughs> it's a very, very interesting situation. But Phoenix just baffles me with the way Cliff Kingsbury gets fired from Texas Tech and then he gets a better job. Yeah, he's the he's it's it's like I said, it's an experiment that we'll see how that um unfolds. Now moving on with the Mountaineers, uh Yandy could just I figured he would be the first Mountaineer taken. I think out of necessity, Will Greer gets to be the one taken, and he will compete for a starting job this year in New England. They've got to find ways to protect Tom Brady more and more and more. So I, I think Yandy um, taken in that 101 spot, they're, they're possibly getting a offensive lineman and paying him third-round money, which is very good for New England. Also, Aaron, the first time in history, back-to-back, Mountaineers in the NFL draft. It happened twice. Too. And it happened twice. Fourth round? Was it fourth round? It was the third round. It was back-to-back yeah, back, rounds, the third yeah. and fourth rounds. Gary Jennings in the fourth round to Seattle. And I don't know. I saw on Twitter, actually, uh, Russell Wilson um, and Gary Jennings are tied. I guess Russell Wilson's dad used to coach Gary Jennings. So it, 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 Russell Wilson put out a very nice thing on Twitter and social media saying that it's odd how things worked out, and he's glad to have Gary Jennings there. Gary Jennings is a mountaineer that is proof that the NFL combine makes you makes your status improve. Because going into the combine, Jennings, I think, was a free agent signee. He has a combine that was awesome, and all of a sudden he is a fourth-round pick, possibly getting a good bit of playing time in that situation with Seattle. You know, it's quarterback receiver relationships are very weird and quarterbacks need to feel comfortable with their receivers. And I, I think with Russell Wilson having a link to Gary Jennings, I think that is a possible, very good thing for Gary Jennings and his amount of playing time going into next season. Well, the chemistry's there it just makes the offense that much that much more volatile. Mm-hmm. I mean, the Seattle Seahawks in years past have not been known as a passing team. They've been known more as ground pounders. Yeah. So getting that wide receiver could definitely wasn't it, wasn't it the the Seahawks in the Super Bowl that tried to pass the ball in the yeah goal that, line? that that was that was <laughs> the craziest thing you you got first and goal on the one yard line. You got the probably the best running back in the NFL yeah. at that time, and you decide to do a short screen pass, and Malcolm Butler just picks it off. <laughs> and Malcolm Butler's even said it to himself, he wasn't trying to pick that ball off. He was just coming in to mm. blitz, and, and it, when and he it, threw, he was right there. It so ended up in his hands, right? You, so. you win Super Bowl MVP, <laughs> and now he's a multi-million dollar man just because of that play right there. Um, David Long going the la- last Mountaineer drafted. I mean, that uh, Gary Jennings, and then you had um, was it David Long? David it, Long, it, Trayvon Wesco, Trayvon Trayvon Wesco. Wesco. It was Wesco going to the Jets. These are the next two that surprised me the most. Wesco going to the Jets, uh, and we all know the New York Jets have a long running, uh, notorious. They they just I don't know who sets in their war room and picks people out. I'm not saying Trayvon Trayvon Wesco is not a good football player. I thought he would be a steal in the very late rounds. I never thought in a million years Trayvon Wesco would go round four. Not saying he's not deserving of it because I do believe he is. I just thought a team would say, "Look, tight end's not a hot spot this year. We can get him in round seven or even sign him as a free agent and get a steal. Jets decide, hey, we we drafted a number 88 Mountaineer in Anthony Becht a long time ago. Maybe it works out for us again. I don't know if that's the the theory behind how the Jets pick people, but it doesn't make a lot of sense. But congratulations to Trayvon Wesco, because I think he's a heck of a football player. I think he may have the the longest, most successful NFL career out of any of the players taken from the Mountaineers this year. Because he's he's versatile. 
He can play tight end. He can block. You can put him at fullback. He can run block. He can sneak out of the backfield and catch a pass. He's got soft hands. He proved that last year, and he's not afraid to hit somebody. He's not afraid to block. He's a throwback. He is He's a tough cookie. And the Jets, you know, picking him at round four, good for Trayvon Wesco because he upped his status majorly by getting drafted round four. Well, he reminds me a bit of Owen Schmidt and how he played. I mean, that guy there would literally give himself a concussion before the game even started. And Tough cookie. He really oh, is. Oh, definitely. Now, David Long going to the Tennessee Titans. Um, Tennessee Titans, I know they definitely need to shore up their defense. Um, they do got Dick LeBeau down there, former Steelers, one of the best Steelers defense coordinators of all time. He helped the Steelers win two Super Bowls. So David Long's going down to the Tennessee Titans where you got a good defense coordinator. Neil Waldeck and I was talking a little bit yesterday about this transition that's going on in NFL football. You've got these offenses like, say, Arizona that's doing this huge experiment <clears throat> where you're trying to basically put in what the college world is doing. You're trying to get fast. You're trying to get speed. You're trying to get playmakers. You want to get them the ball in space. Now, if you look at the NFL draft in the overall first first few rounds, teams went defense. Defense heavy. Pittsburgh Steelers, for example, went defense heavy because you look at other teams in their conference. You've got the Cleveland Browns who are trying, you know, you got Baker Mayfield. They're looking at that different style offense. You got the Baltimore Ravens who just jacked Flacco to Denver and is going to start Lamar Jackson. They got Marquise Brown in the draft. You can tell what way they're headed. So these teams have to find a way to slow these offenses down. And the way to do that is with guys who can play in space. David Long is not your traditional middle linebacker in the NFL. He is small. He is undersized. He has a good first step that can get out into space. He's also a decent pass rusher. I think David Long won't play middle. I think he'll go outside, can be used as pass rusher, and can be used to slow down some of these screen passes and things that you're going to see in this new style offense that the NFL's teams are going to try to run. I don't see the NFL really adapting to it. I mean, the NFL's tried and tried and tried to mimic the college football and just never seems to correlate right. But you, and I, Like I said, I don't know if it'll succeed or not, but you're seeing more and more teams trying it. And the answer to that is, well... Okay, we're you're going to have certain teams like the Pittsburgh Steelers that are going to say, "Look, we're not into it." But we have to find ways to slow these offenses down. And I think that's the answer is finding these undersized hybrid players like a David Long that can get out there. I I was surprised David Long was taken. I I was. I thought he would sign as a free agent. But oh. it kind of makes sense why he was. Uh, a few of the Mountaineers that were drafted surprised me a bit. I think a lot of what the NFL is trying to do is trying to uh, save uh, their ratings because mm-hmm. the ratings for the Super Bowl has been on a decline the last few years. The college football playoffs is just skyrocketing. It's yeah, they're going opposite directions, so they're just trying to save face. And you look, what was what was one of the most talked about games of the NFL last year? It was that St. Louis. Kansas City, not St. Louis. They're not in St. Louis anymore. Los Angeles, the Rams, and Kansas City. That It was what? It was a college-style football game. No defense. Throw the ball all over the lot. And people loved it. People talked about it for weeks. That one game that ended up really, well, I can't say it didn't mean anything, because it did, because both teams were in the title hunt. But... That, that's what people talk about. And I think that's why you're going to see the NFL and more NFL teams try to get there. Will it take? I don't know. It was the highest scoring game in Monday Night Football history. Um, another game that was very high scoring that really I thought this is what made me really step back from the NFL 
was the Los Angeles Rams versus the Seattle, or not the Seattle, but the New Orleans Saints game. In, where, the, in the playoffs. Where you could literally see a pass interference happen right there. Well, well they're, they're addressing that. They're, they're going to, they're, did you see that pass interference will be a reviewable call in the NFL this year? But it's still judgmental. I, it I still, is. And even if you review it, yeah, you're giving the refs to go back and get a chance to rectify their mistake, but it's still based off of their judgment. They're, they can – it's what those refs think. I mean, if they don't think it's pass interference, I'm not saying – Oh, that was pass interference in that game. Oh, yeah. You shoved, I mean – You shoved the guy completely out of bounds. He didn't even get a shot to grab the ball. And I'm not making the money that those officials are making. And that's what drives you crazy is the NFL referees make a decent living. Oh, they're not, they're, they're not like, they're not like some college football refs no, or not at all. They're making a decent living, very decent living, very comfortable living where, you know, you look at college officials, they're, they're, they have nine to five jobs. They have nine outside. to five jobs every week. And then on Saturday or Thursday night, they go officiate a game. So it's unbelievable that if that is your profession, you miss a call like that. It shouldn't happen. I think last year, I forget what the name of the crew was. There was an NFL referee that got that lost his job because he had like three bad mm. games where he called. I can't remember the guy's name, but finally the NFL cracked down on some of them. And like the week afterwards things change for a couple weeks but then by the time playoffs they're back to normal let's talk about the undrafted mountaineer free agents um the one that surprised me the most if trayvon wesco gets drafted and david long gets drafted how does david seals not go undrafted again i thought seals was a late round guy he is a steal for the buffalo bills David Seals can have can make his little niche in the NFL by being the possession, got to get a first down, red zone guy. He can make a career out of being that guy very easily. Well, he doesn't got the speed to do anything else, really. <laughs> no, he's not the breakaway guy, and I think that's why most NFL teams steered clear of him. But with Buffalo signing him as a free agent, David Seals will make the team. He will. You know, some of these some of these guys like uh, Toyus Avery, who got signed to the Seattle Seahawks rookie minicamp, odds are he is not going to make a team. David Seals will make a team and will have a decent career. I, I really believe that. Being well, being that guy, that possession guy. Well, he's got the heart. He 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 has the heart of a mountaineer, and he'll do what needs to be done to make sure he makes the team in Buffalo. He's the guy who will get down and dirty and play whatever way the coaches need him to. I mean, he converted from a quarterback to a wide receiver to make his career extend. And I heard a funny story the other day. The reason he was unable to be a quarterback is he like broke his hand, or he broke his throwing hand somehow. In high school football, like his like a face mask got pinned up against his hand and broke a knuckle to where he couldn't throw the ball right anymore. I can remember watching David Seals after he was drafted, uh, not after he was drafted, I'm just, after he was recruited here to WVU, and um, he had the weirdest throwing style, and maybe that's why. But and I I think that is the main reason that he never made it as a quarterback. He took his time down at a junior college level, transferred out. He, he put up some decent numbers, but he was never going to be that guy with that throwing style. Um, that was a big time college football quarterback. He was never going to be a prolific quarterback that would even have a shot at getting drafted mm. to the NFL. No. Just by the way just by his skill set at the quarterback level. The final Mountaineer that we have not discussed is Drayvon Askew Henry, who is who was who went unsigned, or no, he went undrafted, signed by the Pittsburgh Steelers after the NFL draft. Do you think he has a shot? The Steelers are known to be a very cornerback, have a good set of cornerbacks, and you're drafting or you're signing another cornerback? I Again, he, he falls into that undersized guy, quick, speedy. Um, 
and, and that's what Pittsburgh's going to have to defend. Uh, so he has a chance. Will he? Uh, time will tell. I, I don't know. I, I think Drayvon Askew Henry probably hangs around a practice squad for a while. And um, I don't know if he ever breaks through onto a team. One more. You're missing one. Kenny Bigelow. Kenny Bigelow down at New Orleans. He came in to WVU for one year. Transfer from USC. USC um, gets a shot down in New Orleans. Uh, Kenny is a big guy that, um, as we saw through the course of the year, cramps about every three to five plays. Um He's, I, I don't know, with Kenny Bigelow Jr. I, I like that he got signed, but we'll wait and see. If you don't got, if you, he, can, if you can't stay out there. He's good for about 15 plays a game. That, that's that's probably, that's that's the downside of Kenny Bigelow Jr. And maybe an NFL team works with him and gets him conditioned enough to be more than a 15-play guy. Well, and... I mean that's 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 all NFL longevity is if you can stay out there for his ten, mm. twelve play drives and not come off that field and yeah. you see those those big defense linemen just gasping for air and they stay on the field. I mean, you wonder how they do it and if Kenny Bigelow can't do it. <laughs> well you saw I mean we, we saw it all year this year. Kenny would go in, he'd be that he'd be in there three, four plays, make a great play, and then go down cramping. All of a sudden, there'd be a timeout in the field, and you'd yeah. look out in the field, and there'd be a huddle of guys around him. You'd see a guy rolling around on the ground, grabbing his calf muscle. Yeah, and then, then three or four plays later, he's the back same in. Same thing again. Everybody's you know, freaking out the there, first couple times it happened. There was but, a quote that I saw somewhere, and I forget. It was in the beginning of the year, and, and Coach Holgerson comes out on the field and asks him if he's okay, and he goes, Coach, I'm just fat. <laughs> that was his you know i read that somewhere so that kind of he needs better conditioning um to be a solid nfl guy we'll uh, see if the saints can whip him into shape honesty will set you free <laughs> and at least at least kenny was honest on that one. i don't know if i've heard any any player in a professional sport or anything like that be that bluntly honest yeah. with their coach, especially when they're out there on the field. Yeah. Was that during a game? or That was during a game, yeah. Oh it was gosh. one of the first oh games gosh. when it was really hot. And I, I remember seeing that quote. He's just, just flat out said, Coach, I'm fat. That's <laughs> So, there you go. I figure that had been something that would have been addressed during fall camp or spring ball. It was saw him out there during a the hot so, day. So, Aaron, let me ask you this. Who do you think? Who do you think? Has out of these guys, let's go with the drafted guys first. Who do you think has the best NFL career? I would say Yodney Congest if his knees stay fine. Yeah. I mean, if his, I mean, if he gets leg injury, he's done. But he's in a very good professional team in the New England Patriots. That's a very good run organization. I don't think Trayvon's going to have a good. I don't think he's going to have a good career just with the team he got drafted with. The yeah. New York Jets have been known as a team with a very high turnover rate. I mean, look it's, at Geno Smith. It's the team you don't want to get drafted to. This is the reason why I think you're right on Will Greer. Will Greer is learning under a good quarterback, in a sense. Geno Smith did not have that when he went to the New York Jets. He literally got thrown right into the fire, into mm-hmm. the Big Apple, and... He got punched and, and in honestly, the I think Will could get thrown into the fire very early. I just have this feeling fans are going to rally around him. They're going to want to see him play. There's going to be pressure on Cam Newton. I think Will may get thrown into that fire very quickly. For his sake, I hope I hope not. I don't think he should see a down on an NFL field the first season at least. You I can think say that about most quarterbacks. I, uh, I unless unless you're Kyler Murray or one of the top 10 drafted quarterbacks where you are literally getting drafted to play a starting position, I don't think you should play at all in your first season. The New York Giants, did you watch that, that video went viral on Twitter? The New York Giants had a had a draft party and they announced their first round pick and as soon as they announced Daniel Jones from Duke MetLife Stadium just roared and boos because <laughs> there was how many there was Dwight Haskell was still on the board and they didn't pick yeah. him. Yeah. But they picked that's the third year in a row they've picked the recent. It, it makes you wonder what you would love to be in those war rooms, those draft rooms, 
and they're throwing these names around. I, I would love it would be fun to sit in there and actually know what they're thinking about some of these guys. I don't know how Dave Gettleman still has a job. Don't don't get me wrong. Daniel Jones from Duke had a decent college career, put up big numbers in that offense, worked under Cutcliffe, was trained by him, a very good quarterback kind of coach. But with Dwayne Haskins still on the board, I don't know. Well, I mean, they just traded Odell Beckham Jr. To the Browns. To the Browns, and they really didn't get too much the, in return from the, him. The biggest, the biggest day in Cleveland Brown history. More people on that bandwagon now than ever before. They showed a thing on NFL Network the other day where season ticket prices from last year were somewhere like, uh, no, not season ticket prices, but single game tickets were like $60, $70 in the dog pound area around that uh, general seating area. And this year already they're up to $180 yeah. per game. Oh, they're, like, they're on that, that bandwagon. Baker Mayfield. I mean, Odell I, Beckham Jr. It happened five years ago with Johnny Manziel. And look how I, yeah. uh, the Browns find a way to Browns it up somehow. You, it, you know, I, I compared Baker to Johnny Manziel uh, when he, last year when he was being drafted and, and when he won the Heisman Trophy. I, I think, I don't know if Baker's career will kind of completely unravel the way Johnny Manziel's did, but I compare those two. A lot. The way they act and the way they conduct themselves mm. is they're almost like twin brothers. The way they act, they are both very cocky individuals. They're they're big time partiers. Mm-hmm. So, waits to remain to be seen. They're both been in the Cleveland Browns, where if there's any organization that's unstable as anything else, it's the Cleveland Browns. I mean, the Jets, Raiders, Cleveland Browns—they all go hand in hand. They are very. Very unstable franchises. <laughs> they, they I mean, all, I, just, I just shake my all. head, and something just tells me they're not going to be a very successful. They may have, they may win the win the AFC North. It's not going to happen too many years in a row because you got Odell Beckham Jr., a star power, cocky wide receiver. Jarvis Landry, star power, cocky wide receiver. Baker Mayfield, mm-hmm. star powered, cocky quarterback. <laughs> And somebody's not going to get the ball every time, and somebody's going to get a little bit upset. Yeah, so, yeah. Team what's, chemistry's. What's off. your thoughts on David Seals in Buffalo? See, I don't, I don't, I think he'll be successful, but it's it's just if what you says happens, he has to find his niche. If they try to make him to be the the speedy guy that goes down the field on the fly routes, he's not going no, to last. No, and he's got to be. He's got to be that red zone guy. But Buffalo doesn't guy. have a good offense to begin mm-hmm. with. I mean, that's 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 the one thing that's holding back David Sills. If David Sills were to say have signed undrafted to the New England Patriots, I'd feel a whole lot better about that right. because <laughs> Tom Brady would dink and dunk it to him all the time. Right. But when you go to the Bills, yeah, who. Boy, wants, I love losing Super Bowls. Who 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 wants to play in Buffalo? Antonio either. Brown. They, the uh. Steelers had traded Antonio <laughs> Brown. Antonio Brown tweeted out hashtag fake news, and the Steelers had to back out of that trade because Brown was not going to go. Don't get me started on that. That yeah. is something that I could spend the next 42 minutes or however long talking about this. It would... You want to talk about some Mountaineer football real quick? We, we've got all kinds of things going on. You know, we haven't really talked much since we we stopped the Blitz um, at the beginning of March. It's about midway through. We now, still have about- now, Aaron, we, we, we've, we've been through spring practice. We know what this team's got. Are you still feeling all the warm and fuzzies? That you were back then. Oh, my! if you're asking, do I think they're going to go 10-2? No way. <laughs> okay. But do I think they're going to make it to a bowl game? I do. I, I say 7-5, and 6-6, mm. six and six, something like that. Um, I, I still think. E- even with this week's news of Marcus Sims being gone. I think the Mountaineers always find some kind of wide receiver that will find their niche with the Mountaineers. And everybody's worried about, well, the offense didn't show that much in uh, the spring game. I was there. I stayed through the whole thing. And maybe Vic Koenig's defense is just that good. I mean, he my, did. He did. My he, main concern of this team, and here you go. I'm going to spill it out just like this. 
Okay, I, I'm not knocking Neil Brown in any way, shape, or form. He's got a job to do, and I feel that he is the right guy for this job. There are reasons why coaches make the moves that they do. Dana Holgerson made a not even a lateral move from West Virginia to Houston. He definitely went down. When you you move from a Power 5 conference to a now non-Power 5 conference. You do that for reasons, and a lot of it could be lifestyle reasons. Dana Holgerson, this is my firm belief on this matter. Dana Holgerson knew the the cabinets were bare, and he did not do his grocery shopping very well. There is a possibility of a lack of talent being available right now to Neil Brown. Will he make big strides this year? I do believe so. I think he will coach some guys up. They will be competitive. I was sitting on the fence with this team saying, you know, maybe they can make a bowl game with this team. And coming out of the spring game, I lost that confidence, and I know that it was a spring game, and I know they didn't show that much, but this team has glaring problems on the offensive line, glaring problems that they're going to have to address. Now, he's got a couple scholarships available. Does he go out, get a couple people out of the transfer transfer portal? He may. Some of the guys he's got coming in are going to be very young. Okay, you might have to throw them right into the fire when summer ball gets here to build some sort of depth on that offensive line. Because I understand your 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 five first string guys might be decent, but when you start getting into the Big Twelve play and injuries start to pile up, those second, third, fourth guys they're not there on this offensive line. It, it's scary to me if Neil Brown and these are my expectations this year so far and it might change again come summer but right now my expectations stand at this don't get embarrassed week one against James Madison don't get embarrassed okay (laughs) James Madison's a decent football team that's been on a heck of a run But they lost their head coach. They did lose their head coach. So just get out of there without being embarrassed. And when I mean embarrassed, win the game. Okay, I don't even care if it's close. Just win that game. And if you can come out and beat the three other transition teams in the Big 12, which are also breaking in new head coaches, if you can beat Texas Tech, Kansas, and Kansas State, my expectations have been met for this year. Anything above that is just sugar coating for me well i mean his, his he's already gone out in the recruiting trail and got he's already got one four-star guy oh no looking forward past this year yeah i mean this recruiting class that he brings in next year next year's recruiting class is going to set the stage for what neil brown will become Fans have this warm and fuzzy feeling right now about Neil Brown and everybody's expectations are building. This is what I warn everybody of. This first season, you cannot gauge this on Neil Brown. You have to gauge this off of Dana's past and what Neil Brown can do with these guys. Now, this upcoming draft, uh, not draft, we're talking draft, recruiting class in the next years will be the guys that you say Neil Brown has done a great job. And from what you see right now, him out on recruiting, if you follow the recruiting websites, he, he's doing it. He's putting it together. And that's where you're going to have to judge Neil Brown this year. Well, Neil Brown's coming in with a little bit of a chip on his shoulder, unlike Dana did. When Dana came in, he had the team there for mm, him. He did. Took us clear to the Orange Bowl, 170-33 to against Clemson. Shocked the world. Yeah. And yeah. what happened the next year? I mean, He never won a big game after that. But he never, well... <laughs> You you don't want to get me started on on Dana's big game record because it's not good when you look at Dana Holgerson versus top 25 teams. He beat Baylor at home when they were ranked number three in the nation, number two. That's about it. That's about it. 
That's about it. Can't think of anybody else that got embarrassed by LSU on college game day. Mm-hmm. I think we got embarrassed on college game day a few times. You look at, uh, not last year's Oklahoma game. The last time we had, o- not this year's Oklahoma game, two years ago, when the snow came blowing in. You look at that stage and that scene. That scene and stage was set for him to put his mark down. And before you knew it, it was 35 nothing. Oklahoma. I was, this was when my wife and I just met and I had tickets to the game Mm. and I was sitting at her apartment, which was right next to the football stadium. And I was like, well, let me check. And I look and I was like, "Hmm, 28, nothing. I was like, I'm not going. (laughs) I looked outside, saw the snow was blowing. I just shook my head. I was like, not happening. That summed up Dana, Dana Holgerson. Don't get me wrong. Dana's a good football coach. Um, I think he's a heck of a fit at Houston. He was never a fit here. I'm firm on that. His eight years in West Virginia football will go down as some of the oddest times in Mountaineer history. I really believe that. And now I think you got the guy that fits very well. But I worry about these first seasons or two where people say, oh, this doesn't look like we thought it was going to look. And they become hostile towards Neil Brown when you've got to give this guy time. Those are the fans that really don't pay too much of attention mm. to the actual, the roster, the roster layout, the commits. They're the people that just show up on Saturdays, drink the beer, yeah. and then yeah. are like, well, why aren't we playing yeah. good? We're the Mountaineers. And then, yeah. and then, well, this Neil Brown guy, he's supposed to be really good. Why are we losing football games? It just baffles me, all the football <laughs> games I go to. I'm standing in the concession stand line trying to get my – my goodies to eat, and I just hear people talking. Just the absolute, oh yeah, uh, the, the misunderstanding. Yeah, I the way went, people. I went to games for years, and, and finally, I held season tickets for a long, long time. And finally, just the people at the stadium was enough to say, you know, I'm going to watch these things from home. It, it just got to the point where it wasn't people there to watch a football game; it was people there to see how much. We can stand up in, in the concession stand and how much beer we can drink because they're not going to let us back out at halftime so we can go to the tailgate again. It, it, when they don't know, Mountaineer football has changed. I know <laughs> just the way people act, the students, the student involvement. Now, granted, the one thing I love that Neil Brown done, I was unable to do that. I had to come here and do a baseball game, mm. but the Mountaineers had their first annual student appreciation day where they invited, I think, yeah, I think I like 5,000 students yeah. or so showed up and they're allowed to go down the field, do practice drills and stuff like that. And It'll be interesting to see because through the eight years of Dana, we lost a lot of that fans. student involvement. Oh, yeah. We really did. And, I, you know, I've always wondered why. And, you know, when you start seeing Neil Brown do these things and trying to bring that student back in, what he's doing – He's getting those students invested into his team. I don't think the students felt they were invested in what happened on that football field. Dana was a completely different individual. When I was watching videos of when Neil Brown was coming to Morgantown, I saw him his first couple years at Troy. I think his first year at Troy, within like the first three months of him being at Troy, he went into the Troy student body mm-hmm. organization union whatever and invited them to come to the the football games because troy's a small small university mm, and then when he got announced at wvu i was like he ain't gonna do nothing like that i was like this university's <laughs> too big and then i had class up on the evansdale campus i looked on facebook a live video of neil brown in the middle mm-hmm. of the mountain lair yeah and talking to students saying hey come out to practice tomorrow yeah. we really want you to be there and i was like it's going to be real interesting to see over the next few years if if he can build that student involvement again that was there through the heyday, through that run of Pat White, Steve Slate, and Rich Rodriguez. Because at that point in time, that was a great student environment. They didn't leave. They they were always in there. They They hung on every play, and it's changed over the last eight years. And it'll be special if he can bring that back to Mountaineer football. One thing I I don't want to say I'm going to leave off on this point, but I remember a couple of years ago Texas Tech came into Morgantown. We were down 
35-17 with the homecoming game. With yeah. four four I think it was like four minutes mm-hmm. left in the third quarter and I had a couple of people standing beside me like, "Oh, we're out of here." I was like, yeah. "I'm going to stay here." <laughs> and I've never left a football game early unless it was they were losing by 20 of 20 seconds ago. That's the only time I kind of beat the crowd out. But they came back and scored, I think it was mm-hmm. like 35 unanswered points within so many and they beat Texas Tech by 10. Yeah. And that final buzzer sounded. And you look and, around how many people were left. Oh, that stadium, yeah. if, if that stadium was full, that would have been one of the most raucous atmospheres oh, yeah. in that stadium's mm-hmm. history. Just because I think Texas Tech was ranked at the time. I think they were ranked like yeah, they 17th. Were, it, was a, um, it was a top, that was a top 25 matchup. I think West Virginia had just broke the top 25. I they were 25. And Texas Tech was like 18, 19, 20, some in that, somewhere in that area. So yeah. it was a lower end top twenty five yeah, matchup. It I was. mean, but I mean, it goes without it goes without saying that that's a game. I think that'll eventually get lost in Mountaineer history. Not, it will. Too, not too many people remember that game, but that was, it was by far probably one of my probably if you're looking back to a game to sum up Will Greer's legacy, because you know I, I've I've. I've told you on the Blitz, I don't think Will Greer gets remembered as one of the great Mountaineer quarterbacks. I've told you that. He never played in a bowl game. He never won a championship. He may go on and have a great professional career, and that's what he'll get known for. But really, if you look at it, that game was his signifying that, that was his legacy. Right there, that Texas Tech homecoming game where they were down 35-17, second largest comeback in school history. I have to say this about Will Greer, and I wish him the luck as he's gone down to the Carolina Panthers. I just saw his first uh, picture in his in his new uniform. Will Greer has to be one of the, all at least in the top 10 greatest Mountaineer quarterbacks of all time because of the amount of games he played. In the How, stats it, he put up? In the stats he put up in a short amount of time. He literally played shortened seasons both years he were here. He did. He didn't play three, no, two games his first year. He broke his, I don't count that Texas game. He broke his finger in the first quarter. Mm-hmm. He didn't play. Yep. He didn't play the game after that, and he didn't play the bowl game. So he didn't play three games that season, and he didn't play in the bowl game this year. So he played, he missed four games and still put up ridiculous numbers. And he, and he was, was fun to watch. And he was within shouting distance of Geno Smith's mm. records. And you can't, you, I mean, something has to you be You can't argue that. stats, but to me, you can argue it by what did you do for us. He, you can say you can say he cost <laughs> us that Oklahoma game in a way. I mean, he did I'm have not some, even saying he cost us a game. I'm just saying he never won a Big 12 championship, got us close. Never got us to the huge bowl game. Never beat Oklahoma. Never beat Oklahoma. And you had them there in Morgan. Yeah. Yeah. So it's those things like that. If I if I'm rating Mountaineer great quarterbacks, he he's down on the list. You know, they'll all be compared to Pat. You had Major, you had Gino. Gino, I mean, he gets a lot of flack because of his pro career. But he led you to the Orange Bowl. He got you a conference championship, and he blew out a very good Clemson team. So you know, I I put even. I think Will Greer will be compared a lot to Mark Bulger. Fair enough. I I, I think he's you can somewhere say that. around there. Mark Bulger, Brad Lewis, kind of. Area. And Bulger didn't have the best career at the with WVU, but look what he done with the same. Exactly, Louis he went on to a great pro career. Bulger was fun to watch, it, it, but he the results you never got the big results that you wanted from him. I want to do one final talk, but I do want to let our listeners know of our sponsors that's bringing us this podcast: Three Guys Fitness in Reedsville. Mention you heard this ad on ninety six seven K Country and receive five dollars off your initial membership fee. By Brouhaha and on Price Street in Kingwood, West Virginia, where the coffee beans are roasted in-house and the coffee beans are absolutely delicious. And by Shortcuts in Morgantown, the closest barber to the downtown WVU campus. The final segment, the uniform unveiling. <laughs> I knew you were going to bring that up. They brought back the grays, which I, I when I first saw them bring those out onto the field, and I was like, what changed? 
I was like, I, I immediately saw the font. I was like, well, the font, the font changed. changed. They didn't have the stripes down the side. down Or the, or the ridiculous collaring up on the shoulders. Yeah, they didn't have that. But, and I was like, you had two years with Nike. Two years with Nike to come up with a brand new uniform scheme. And this is what you came up with. It is a cleaner look. But it took you two years. Right. They cleaned it up. A little bit. That that's as much as I can say about the the new uniforms. Do you they, like the, do you like the grays? No, hate them. Uh, hate them. You know, and this is an air topic. Even though Aaron, I I will I will tell you this. I'd rather see gray than black. Fair enough. And I have um, ever since we started this podcast, I listen to other podcasts that right. talk about the Mountaineers. A lot of them. Are disappointed that there wasn't a black uniform introduced. Mm. They wanted to see a coal rush uniform, and mm. I think it's starting to gain steam. You're mm. having people who talk mountaineers that want to see it. Even a guy that I set up in the press box with at WVU baseball games has a podcast, and he talked about the black uniforms on there. And I was like, it's starting to gain steam with mm. at least a media presence. Mm. Um, not this media guy. No. No. You, you know my feelings. Not Traditionalist. Me. You will never see Alabama run out of a tunnel wearing a black uniform. You will never see it. Well, now, how how often does Alabama change their uniform? They have two uniforms. And it doesn't change. And it doesn't have no steam it's on it. tradition. LSU always wears white uniforms at home. It'll never change. It, it, it's, it's tradition. It, it's this... And I understand that. I've heard people talk and other podcasters and sports announcers and what have you talk about it saying, yeah, the Mountaineers have so many combinations, haven't won any championships. Oregon has like 300 uniform combinations, (laughs) haven't won nothing big. They made it a couple times. That uniform's not going to get you nowhere. Now look at Alabama. Look how many combinations they have, but look at the plethora of titles that they have. So, I mean... It's fun. This is is where the uniform stuff gets started. It it does get fans pumped up for whatever reason. I, I don't get it, but the fan base gets pumped because we're wearing a gray jersey. I don't understand it. It does have some sort of, recruits want it for whatever reason. Recruits want to wear 30 different combinations of jerseys. I don't know why. I don't understand why people get so hyped up for collars that are not your school collars. Um, that, you know, that I, I guess with fans, maybe they're thinking, well, that's going to be something I'm going to be able to buy. And it's something that, you know, everybody else won't have. I, I don't know. I, I just don't get it. I don't. But I do believe that the uniform, uh, I love the font. Because I, I, I was dra- drawing very tired of the axe pick numbering, the sharp jagged. It, I like that they cleaned the fonts up. They're not a huge difference, but I like that. And I'm kind of with you to say you did have two years with Nike's Nike and all you could do was clean it up a little bit. I, I was expecting a little bit more. I'm not saying anybody was lazy, but two years to clean up uniforms. I mean, if I was given two years to do something <laughs> on a project that's probably involving nine figures, I would have yeah. probably done something. Well, we saw some concepts online that people had made and you would have been a lot better that yeah the big block lettering west virginia across the the chest the throwback just big block numbering you you know they could have did a lot more and we didn't have to bring in beck gray and i hope we never wear black uh Me and you, I think we'll, we'll disagree on that until until one thing happens. They may be, the Grays are back for now. Yeah, the Grays are back for now. We'll see about the blacks. Yeah. I don't I don't know if the black uniforms will gain any more steam. I signed a petition, didn't go anywhere, but I do know there was like thirty forty thousand signatures on that petition to get to get it rolling. So. Didn't go anywhere, and I'm kind of glad it didn't with the way that Oklahoma game ended last year. Now, one one uh, one of the things that I will miss is the throwback white helmet with the state logo instead of the flying WV. They didn't show those, 
maybe they'll keep them around. But I do love that old throwback with the state outline oh, on I it. Love those I, I love those. I loved when they came out with those blue jerseys, white pants, and white mm-hmm. helmets. I yeah. love that absolute look. But from what I'm hearing, the, the helmets had nothing to do with that. It was they, just the uniforms. Just the uniforms rolling out. They're, see, they're changing everybody's uniforms. It's going all across the board. It's baseball, basketball. Yeah, and they're going to be. They're going to have all uni- the same unification. Yes. Yeah. So the helmets. Helmets. Yeah, because aren't they Nike. didn't show a gold helmet either, which I love the gold helmets, and they didn't have a gold helmet with anybody down there either. So I'm hoping they keep that. I hope they keep that white helmet with the the throwback state logo on it i would definitely like to see that i i loved it every time they brought out that that, that helmet mm. just looked very clean it looks very retro look and, and it's a throwback it honors that oliver luck period uh of mountaineer football that's when those were those were big so and it was right before the flying wv was introduced introduced so and don't get me wrong i love the flying wv but that just having that throwback to your history to your tradition it's nice to have so, Chris, I know we're about wrapping up for this midseason discussion. Um, do you have an idea when we're going to be starting the Blitz? I know uh, sometime around the beginning of August. I know we're going to try to hopefully bring it on the podcast yeah. where everybody can. I would like that. Listen to it. Yeah. If, if people miss it on the radio station, they can't be like, "Well, I missed mm. it." I have to hopefully yeah, hear I mean, something about it next week. It, it's it's something hopefully that we can tie in the the Blitz broadcast to this one, and uh, yeah, we'll figure it out. All right, well. Beginning of August, summer practice. Maybe my feelings on this team will change a little bit, but we'll see. I, I think I think the spring football brought exactly what a lot of people thought it was going to bring. It was the unveiling of Neil Brown. The, the, the hype of the uniforms was there, and it was just a new coach. Just a lot of people weren't there. I mean, it was the second, third highest attendance yeah, game. Yeah, in the people football. are excited. People are excited. The warm and fuzzy feelings about Neil Brown. I just hope they stay, even though this year might not be what they're thinking it's going to be. Season tickets, I think, are already mm. the the amount of people who's bought season tickets is yes. already skyrocketing. Yeah, season ticket sales are up, which is a good thing because they had dropped steadily for the last four or five With Dana years. Dana being there, yeah. Well, I guess we could say wish Dana luck. Hopefully he beats Oklahoma on his first game. Oh, I tell you what, if Dana Holgerson beats Oklahoma that first game, I'm going off. I'm writing a petition to somebody, and I don't even know what it's about yet. Eight years <laughs> with Mountaineers, and he can't beat Oklahoma once. If, but... he, beats, if he beats Oklahoma week one against Houston, I, that's, it's going to be a four-touchdown four game. Oklahoma, four touchdowns. Alrighty, well, I think that's going to wrap it up for us here on the Sports Roundtable being brought to you by Three Guys Fitness in Reedsville, Shortcuts in Morgantown, and by Brouhaha in Kingwood. For Chris Westfall, I am Aaron Host signing off for the Sports Roundtable. We'll talk to you again next week.